Amen. Well, you guys know John Gibson, right? Apparently he's not here, but again, maybe this might explain why. Because apparently I have it on record right here. John had a near-death experience, right? Just work with me. <laughs> so he had one of those weird near-death experiences, right? And, and uh, yeah, it must have been the chicken. I told him not to eat it, but whatever. I digress. But anyway, so here he is. He's standing at the pearly gates, and he's waiting to be admitted there. And guess who's there? St. Peter. It's always St. Peter. I don't know why. We'll ask him when we get there. But he's up there. He's leaping through the book of life, and apparently, and, and he's going through the, the book several different times, and he starts to furrow his brow at John. He says, hey, John. He says, you know, I, I, I can't see that you ever really did uh, something super bad in your life, but at the same time, I didn't see you really do anything good either. So if you can point to one really, really good deed, I'll let you in. Yes, this is a joke. This is not good theology. But <laughs> So Johnny thinks about it for a minute, and he goes, man, I don't know. He says, oh, oh, hey, wait a second. He said, yeah, yeah, there was this one time I was driving down the road, and I saw this giant group of thugs, and they were assaulting this poor girl. And so I slowed down my car to uh, see what was going on, and sure enough, there they were. There's about 50 of them terrifying this young woman. And, and so I was infuriated. He said, I got out of my my car there, I grabbed the tire iron, and I walked up to the leader of the gang, and he was this huge guy, man. He was a studded leather jacket. He had this chain running from his nose to his ear. And so I walked right up to the thugs. They, they formed a circle around me and everything. And, and so I, I ripped, listen, the leader's chain right off his face, man. I smashed him over the head with the tire. I, I laid him out totally cold. That's why you want to be friends with John. But anyway, no. <laughs> So John says, then I turned, I yelled at the rest of the guys. I said, leave this poor, innocent girl alone. You're all just a bunch of sick, deranged animals. You better go home before I teach you all a lesson of pain. And Peter, he goes, whoa, John, I'm pretty impressed. Really? When did this happen? And John said, about two minutes ago. Surprise endings, wasn't it? You didn't see that one coming, right? Takes a little bit, and oh, I got it now. You can share that at the potluck later. Uh, but anyway, but uh, believe it or not, folks, I see the same surprise ending happening uh, with the church. Okay, we're unfortunately we're doing the same thing, and, and that's what we're doing to the world. They're like blown away. They're like, what? We're, I didn't see that one coming. That's a surprise ending. And it's when we walk around acting like practical atheists. It's like what? 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 That doesn't make sense. And we've been seeing our study, folks. We say we believe in God, but half the time with our lips and our lives, what are we doing? We're acting like God's not even there. And it's not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps other people from believing in God. So to avoid that irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study from the holy word of God on the character of God. Let him define for us who he is. Don't make it up yourself. That's called an idol. Okay? And we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. Hello, he's what? He is real. We're here for a real reason. This is not make-believe. We're just wishing it to be true. No, he is real. The great news is he's what? He's personal. He is intimate. Jesus Christ died on the cross for a what? Another dry, stale, boring, man-made religion. Woo-hoo. No. <laughs> for a beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with who? God, the creator of the universe. Man, that's exciting stuff. The third thing we saw, hello, he's wise, right? He knows everything. He never gets it wrong. Why in the world would you want to go anywhere else? The fourth thing, he's sovereign. He not only controls all things. If you love him, Christian, amen. Listen, he works all things together for good. 
for those who love him, especially those hard times, man. Take, take comfort. Then we saw the fifth thing. He is powerful, man. He can save anybody he wants. He can meet any need he wants. He can fix any problem he wants. Just absolutely wonderful. And then the sixth time we saw God is what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. It's the only attribute in the scripture of God mentioned three times. You better get that one right. And that's why we spend a lot of time on that one too. And then last time we saw the seventh thing we need to know about God. He is what? God is love. Again, it's not he's loving. He's not lovable. The scripture we saw last week, he is love itself. That means every single thing that God ever does, ever will do, believe it or not, even spanking us, even punishment, is a perfect act of love. Because God is love. Everything he does does is a perfect act of love. And there we saw, we begin to break it down. Well, what, what does this love look like? Right from God that he is. We saw last week the first facet, and that was he shows us his love by giving us mercy. And then we saw out of mercy, God will give not his best friends, not his buddies, not people who deserved it, but he will give his enemies a palace in heaven instead of a pit in hell. He'll give you a body of perfection instead of a body of pain. He'll give you a heavenly greeting woo-hoo, instead of one of those hellish goodbyes we saw from the atheists there. You don't want to leave the planet like that. Instead, receive God's merciful love through Jesus Christ and it's a much better existence uh, uh, to live, okay, here on earth and certainly for all eternity, okay? But that's not all. The second way, the second facet, we're going to take a look at this thing called love, that God is. God is love. Not just it's merciful. Here's another facet. God demonstrates he is love itself by giving us compassion. He's merciful to us. Wow, as we saw last week, man. He, he you know, but now he gives us compassion, compassion. And that compassion is wrapped up in the book of Luke. Luke 15 is our opening text. Let's take a look there. And this, of course, is the account of the prodigal son. Luke 15, let's take a look there. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And uh, let's take a look at this compassionate story. Now, oftentimes we'll focus on, uh, you know, the prodigal son, you know, needs to get saved. He's out there eating pig slop and he gets right, you know, comes to his senses, and that's great, okay? But this time I want to focus uh, uh, almost primarily on the Father because this is where we see, I believe, God's heart of compassion, this facet of his love, okay? How does the Father respond to this? And then we're going to tear it apart, all right? Let's take a look there. Luke 15, parable. Jesus started with the lost sheep, then he goes into the parable of the lost coin, and then he goes into the parable of the lost son, starting with verse 11. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. Here's what he says. So Jesus continued. In other words, in case in the context you didn't get the first two parables, I'm going to give you a third try. See if you can get it now this time, right? And he says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the, of the estate. So the father, he divided his property between them. Now, not long after that, the younger son, he got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So when he, he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, who sent him to feed the pigs, okay, the fields to feed the pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And listen, when he came to his senses, you guys remember that day? By the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, man, you're eating pig slop out of this world, and all of a sudden, Jesus. Right? He came to his senses, right? And he said, man, 
How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I know what, I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, he's, here's, he's rehearsing his speech, uh, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. Now listen, but while he was still a long way off, his father, what? Saw him. You know what that means? The dad was looking for him, right? Right? How many, if that was you, how many guys would be sitting there at the top of the hill going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you better have a good story. <laughs> but not this, this is compassion, right? right? And he saw his father saw him, and he was filled with what? Here's your word, compassion. This father was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said his father to him, he started his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer willing to be called your son. But the father, he interrupts him, and he, and, and he says uh, to the servants there, he says, Hey, uh, quick, uh, bring the best robe and put it on him, and, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the, fa- bring, bring the what? Not fatted, you know what? Hey, when God throws a party, what you cook, folks? Yeah, you know, let's just close in prayer because that's your lesson for today. No, <laughs> right? He killed the fatted calf, right? And kill that thing, man. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Woohoo! Party time. Why? Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found, so they began to celebrate. You may be seated. This is awesome, this text here, especially if you get into the customs and mannerisms. And, and what we simply have is, of course, the famous prodigal son story. And you got to understand, it's, yes, of course, again, a, a great account, a parable from Jesus about a son's desperate need of forgiveness, like each one of us. Amen? Okay, so, yeah, that's true, okay. But it's also the other half of this, okay, is about the father's incredible compassion, okay? Now, maybe this will start to make sense. The word compassion comes from the Greek word Splunkna. There you go. Now you now the splunkna thing is solved, right? It's the Greek word splunkna. Now listen to this. This is so cool. It means literally, right? In here in the text, splunkna. Compassion means to be moved in one's inwards or bowels. Huh? Is that cool? Okay. Now now let me explain. It was the metaphor back in that day to speak of the seat of affection or emotions. Okay. For instance, today in the vernacular we say, "Oh, I moved in my." heart for someone okay but back in the day they'd say i moved in my bowels for someone okay that's splunking that's compassion okay so guys hey next time you want to show compassion to your wife say hey baby you moved me in my bowels <laughs> no don't do that because you have to get the marriage study and have classes and stuff but uh, but it's seriously splunking compassion listen and, and also it wasn't just an emotional feeling like because we do that we saw that last time with love most people think it's an, it's an emotion, or they think it's just a, 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 a passion or, or something or something physical. No, 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 no. And it's the same thing as we saw last week. Love, God demonstrates love by doing something not physical, but something sacrificial, purely for the benefit of somebody else. That's a gapao in the Greek there with love, the kind of love that God is, and he demonstrates to us. But it's the same thing here in compassion. It's not just an emotional feeling. Listen, it's a loving action, all right, but listen, it's a loving action generated out of pity. You get it? It's a loving action generated because you see somebody in, frankly, a pitiful state. And you generate it out of that state, you go, oh, and you give them compassion. And the son... I don't know if he had a shower before, but he's in there with the pigs. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. We had a pig farmer down the road. That was our only neighbor. You always prayed the wind went the other direction. It was bad. 
And just going around the pen, just pigs are called pig for a reason. <laughs> right? So here he comes with his dad. No wonder he says, man, get those clothes. Get him a robe, man. Get, you know, get, he's, mm. But he probably was in a pitiful looking, smelling state. You understand? And that's what splunkta means. It means it's not just, oh, have compassion. It's a loving action that's, listen, specifically generated out of, oh, pity. That's splunkta. That's what this dad did, okay? Now, out of pity, splunkta, he refrained from giving his son what he rightly deserved, right? And let's start to break that aspect down. I mean, because here's what's going on. If your son basically said, hey, dad, hurry up and die. So I can have my inheritance, right? Liquidate your bank account. Sell that house. Sell your stocks and bonds. I want my share. Die, dad, die. Because that's what's going on there. When the son says, hey, dad, give me my share of the estate. Uh, okay, now let's be honest. And then, not only did you submit to that, and you did that, because you kept your word, okay? But then your son goes off, like the, this son, and blows the whole thing very quickly, in sinful living, and then has the audacity to come back to your front door. And let's be honest, folks. If that was us, what would we do? We wouldn't be giving our son the fatted calf. We'd be giving the fatted casket, right? The fat kick in the pants or something like that. But that's what's so amazing. Not this father. What'd he do? He, he saw his son, and he saw the pitiful state he was in, and the pitiful problem he was in, and the pitiful sin that he got seduced away in. i got to show him i got to shower him with Splunkna. And that's what he did. He gave him compassion. And listen, and not just by having pity on him, go, oh, you poor thing, take a shower, will you? I'll come back later and deal with you. He, he not only didn't give him what he deserved, but he gave him the complete polar opposite. What do you do? Party time. He throws the guy party. Gets him, cleans him up, he's back, he welcomes him, he forgives him. Whoa, party time. The complete polar opposite, listen, all generated. Because you saw somebody in a pitiful situation. And that's just that love of God oozed right out of you, splunked it everywhere, and you had to do something about it. Now, I said all that to hopefully get your heart ready for what's going on today. This is the problem in our world and even in the church. Okay, because we live in a society that no longer pleads for the compassion of God. You know why? Because our world doesn't think that they're pitiful in the eyes of God. Our world doesn't think that sin is egregious to God. That they're not in a sinful state that is like eating pig slop in the eyes of God. Because what does our world say? Hey, you're just incredible. Don't you just love you, love me, love, 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 self, love, self. We're so wonderful. Can you imagine the prodigal son back in that pig slop going, man, I smell awesome. Don't you want to date me, gal? You know, just... (laughs) And yet that's what we're doing in our pitiful, sinful state apart from Christ in this planet. And we're not pleading for God's compassion anymore. We don't think we're pitiful. We don't think we need his uh, compassion. And on top of that, we not only don't think we need pity from God, on the top of that, we flipped around even more and we say, you owe us a party, God. It's like sin on top of sin. We're not pitiful. We don't need your compassion. You better save us and you better throw us a party can you imagine the sun showed up like that okay but as we saw last time hey if we each one of us got what was owed to us what would we get <laughs> you get a pit in hell a body of pain you get a hellish goodbye you go straight into hell forever okay okay and i don't know about you but i'd rather have god's pity 
than that version of a so-called party, okay? So we're going to break down two aspects, this compassionate love of God, how he demonstrates this, just like this father sees us in our pitiful state. It, it's hopeless. We, our sins stink to high heaven. It's, oh! And in the midst of all that, God does two incredible compassionate things. Mind-blowing, just like this father did for his son. The first way the Bible reveals the compassionate love of God is by dying for those who wanted him dead. Dying for those who wanted him dead. Let's go back to the gospel uh, of Luke again, this time with the crucifixion of Jesus. Luke 23, 32-34. Two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with him, i.e. Jesus. And finally they came to a place called the Skull. And all three were crucified there. Jesus on the center cross between the two, the other two criminals on either side. And Jesus said, what? Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. What? Now that's mind-blowing. Jesus, God in the flesh, what could he have done? What's the scripture say? He could have called down 10,000 upon 10,000 angels and nuked the whole planet. Excuse me? I'm God right here in the middle. Of, in fact, I'm in the middle. I'm the Messiah, the chosen one. You have the audacity to not just put me on a cross. You put me on the cross, treat me like a criminal in between two. Whoa. And in the midst of that, what's he say? This is compassion. He looks around. He looks at our pitiful state of humanity. Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was not only killed on the cross by, between two criminals. He was put there because people considered him one. You realize that? You realize how sinful that is? I mean, here you have God himself coming to earth to save the lost. Instead, they reject him and place him on the cross. Talk about sin, right? And folks, I see the American church, we're doing the same thing, right? In another facet, okay? Another type of sin. And it's, it's this, by becoming numb to this amazing act of God. Right? We're very flippant with this word that our whole eternal destiny banks itself upon, and that is the cross of Christ. It's one of those Christianese phrases, the cross, the cross, we say cross, and that's great. But do we have any idea what we're saying? Do we understand what the cross is? Do we understand when we wear it around your neck? What does that symbolize? The cross of Christ. I think we've forgotten, frankly, the true meaning of that. For, uh, for instance, the cross, in case you don't know, it's not a Christian religious symbol to hang around your neck. Doesn't it bug you when you see Hollywood do this? These people with the most egregious sins, not that we're without sin, but these people out there, they don't make no bones about it. They're not following Jesus Christ, but they got that big old giant cross on. It's blasphemy if you understand what the cross is. The cross is not a Christian religious symbol to hang around your neck. It was a horrible instrument of suffering and death. Let me, let, me, let me break it down for you. The cross was the firing squad of the day. The cross was the hangman's noose. The cross was the gas chamber of our day. Lethal injection with needles of the day. The cross was the means to execute the worst of criminals. It was the death penalty of the day. Only Jesus Christ was not a criminal. This is what's going on with the cross. Jesus Christ, he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He who knew no sin voluntarily died to take away our sin. Now, lest we think that's an easy thing to do, unless you just have some casual attitude, you just flippantly wear a cross or whatever, let's just remind ourselves. Resurrection Day is coming up. Let's remind ourselves. What is it we're supposed to be saying? What was the cross of Christ? How, what was it like to die on a cross, a Roman cross, 
What did our Lord do for us? Let's take a look at that real quick. Jesus has endured hours of misery, but the worst of the ordeal is yet to come. The nails that are used, uh, we have many of them uh, excavated here and there. They're usually quite long. Uh, they have a very large uh, head. The shank is square in cross-section. They're forged. They're quite pointed because they're to be driven into very large timbers, that is, through the person and into the wood. In quick succession, the nails are pounded into his feet and hands. There are many uh, cases in which, for example, an, an injury to the hand uh, from a bullet or from a, even a, a knife would cause what is called causalgia, and initially the pain is felt just where the injury is. If the median nerve is ruptured or injured, it will also cause severe, excruciating, burning-like pains, like lightning bolts traversing the arm into the spinal cord. Now, we know from experiences and during war, especially World War II, where did studies on a condition called causalgia which is a condition caused by injuring the median nerve. The pain was so terrific that even morphine wouldn't help, and they had to actually operate on the spinal column in order to decrease uh, that pain or to eliminate uh, that type of pain. And it's so severe that if you blow on the skin of the hand where the pain is, the patient will scream abnormally. When a nail pierces the top of the foot, goes through the top of the foot, whether it went through uh, each foot separately or both feet, it would rupture or at least injure the plantar nerves, which go down in between each of the bones. The pain would be very similar to that of the hand because causalgia is the same medical condition, uh, causing severe lightning bolt-like pains right up the legs, burning, searing type of pains. How many guys would say that was a fun way to die? See, we try to soften capital punishment today, but not back then. Not with the cross. And to keep in mind, listen, he didn't have to do this. He did it voluntarily. And who did he do it for? His best buddies? His friends? Because we deserved it? No. Out of compassion. Out of pity for us. Seeing our helpless, sinful state. Ah! Splunked up. I've got to give him compassion. And believe it or not, that was the tip of the iceberg of what Jesus was about to go through. On the cross. That was just the beginning. That's just getting nailed there. Here's another medical perspective of Jesus' final hours, medically, what he most likely had went through. A uh, doctor says this, as Jesus slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in his wrists, excruciating fiery pain shoots up through his fingers and up the arms and explode into his brain. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves and therefore he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment. But when he does, he places the full weight of the nail through his feet. But this causes a, a searing agony as the nail tears through the nerves between the bones in his feet. 
And then his arms get fatigued and cramps sweep through his muscles and they're knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. And with these cramps come the inability to push himself upward to breathe. He can draw into the lungs, but he can't exhale. So Jesus fights to raise himself up in order to get just even one small breath. And then in spasms, he's able to push himself upward to exhale to get more oxygen. But each time it's less and less. And he experienced hours of horrible pain as the tissue torn from his lacerated back. It's moving up and down the rough timber just so he can breathe. But then another agony arrives. This deep crushing pain fills his chest. It begins as the area around his heart slowly fills with serum and it begins to compress his heart. It's almost over the loss of fluids. It's reaching a critical level. The heart is struggling to pump blood as the tortured lungs are making frantic efforts to gas small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues and finally Jesus can allow his body to die but not before saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When all hope was lost, and there was no way to get out of the pig pen of sin, and we all deserve to stay there and go even worse and go straight into hell, God looks down at man's pitiful state and says, I'll send my son. I'll send my son to take the death penalty in their place. And yet we're flippant with the cross. Do we have any idea what it means? Oh, and by the way, remember, it wasn't for his buddies, and he didn't have to. Who in the right mind, who in the right mind would volunteer to die for people in that manner? Especially for people who, frankly, wanted you dead, thought you were a criminal. No, we don't want a spiritual savior. We want a political savior to save us from Romania. Paid him on the cross. You knew it was coming, but you went ahead and you submitted to it anyway. We all deserve to die and go straight to hell, but through the cross of Christ, listen, here's where the other aspect. It's not just that the Father, it's not just that the Father welcomed the Son back. He made the way for the Son to be cleaned up and to be cleansed and to have the robe and the ring. But what, what's the second thing Dad did as soon as I got done? Woo! I'm going to give you the polar opposite of what you deserve. It's party time. You understand what the cross has done for us? Through the cross of Christ, listen, we deserve to die and go straight to hell, but through the cross of Christ, we're forgiven, we're cleaned up. Where are we heading? To heaven, the greatest party of all time. It's the prodigal story all over again on an infinite scale. This is where we are going. All because of what? The compassionate love of God. Because at some point in your life, you said, oh, what, what? You came to your senses. You stop listening to the lies of this world. I'm so worthy, incredible. I'm so, God has to save me because I'm, are you kidding me? God have mercy on me. God have pity on me. I'm in the pig slop of sin. I am dirty. I am filthy. I don't deserve to be called your child. And what's God do? Music to my ears. Now, come home. Come home, son. Come home, daughter. I've been waiting for you. I've been looking for you. I'm just waiting for you to get to that point where you come to your senses and will acknowledge your pitiful state because I want to shower my splunkna, my compassion upon you, and I'm itching to throw a party. 
Heaven never ends. The party never ends. It's not just for a weekend. It's forever. He didn't have to. We don't deserve it. He's just waiting for us to cry out for his compassion by acknowledging our pitiful state. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Just another small little aspect. Oswald Chambers, he said this. This is cool. He said this. All heaven... All heaven is interested in the cross of Christ, right? What's the scripture say? Even angels long to look into this stuff. It's like, what? God, and you're going to submit here for those people? What? All heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell is terribly afraid of it. Listen, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. Why? Because when you and I realize that we ourselves deserve to be crucified ourselves on the cross, and yet out of compassion, God will instead, and has done this, he crucified his own son in our place. You can't be the same. You cannot be the same when you understand the compassionate love of God. The second way the Bible reveals the compassionate love of God, listen to this, that was... Do you realize that, I just can't wait to get into it. I'll just say it. God continually forgives our continual sins. See, it's not just the prodigal son and he got right and then he lived perfectly from then on out. How many guys since you got saved, right? That's the first half, the prodigal son, woohoo, party time. Yeah, and, and so, so you got saved and ever since you've been a Christian, you've never sinned once. Raise your hand. You didn't want to commit another sin, did you? Called lying right he continually forgives our continual sins even after getting saved right let's take a look at that text this is wonderful folks hebrews right our high priest jesus what's he doing man this is awesome hebrews 7 24 through 25 but because jesus lives how long forever he has a what permanent priesthood therefore here's the great news he is able to save how well Completely, 100%. It's all done complete. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Because he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for them. And this is what's amazing about this text. Jesus not only died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Hebrews says he always lives to intercede to always forgive us of our sins. And this is what's amazing. Do you understand the significance of this statement? The one who died for those who wanted him dead, listen, not only forgives them once, but again, and 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 again. And that was just today. The last two hours. And again. And again. Now, it's what's called a positional truth. It's already done, praise God. But I'm talking from man's point of view. Again. And again. Now, now this is what blows me away. Listen, because you have to put it in context of the prodigal son's story. Let's review that. Let's go back to that story. And here we saw, of course, the father demonstrates this amazing amount of splunk. Now, this compassion, right? And he, he didn't give him what he deserved. And, and then he, he cleaned him up, right? Got rid of the pig slop, brought him home to the father's house. And then threw a big party for him. And listen, but now imagine. Imagine after the party, okay, after they ate that fatted calf. Woo, as cool as that is. The next month, the son took the dad's cash and did it again. 
No, no, it's duty. And, and then, he, then he came back home after that next month. Dad got right with him, right? And, and then he goes out the next week. And he did it again. And then he comes back and dad forgives him. And, and, and then he comes the next day, right after the party. He goes and he does it again. And he keeps on doing it. I mean, come on, let's be honest. If most of us were that father, at some point we're probably getting to this point. Hey, son. Listen, pal. That's the fourth time this week I've killed a fatted calf. Cows don't grow on trees. Turn to somebody and say this, God doesn't run out of cows. Oh, isn't that good? It's awesome. This is what God does for you and I every single day. He never runs out of cows. Why? Because Hebrews says Jesus is our forever high priest. He's always living to intercede for us. Bang, bang, gone again, 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 again from man's point of view. Absolutely amazing. All of our sins are just poof. Magically gone. They just disappeared. It's kind of like what this guy experienced. Let's take a look. See if you guys can understand what's going on here. Babe, did you say you were going to make dinner? I couldn't remember. <sighs> what? I just wish you'd take some initiative and cook your own dinner for once. I've been at work too, you know. And what, now I get to come home and pack the dishwasher and then unpack the dishwasher and cook dinner and put the washing on. And you know what? I can't continue to live like this because hey, it's hey, not hey, me. Hey, 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 relax. It's going to be all right. How? Here, I'll just show you. Okay, I've been doing this since we moved in. See this basket thing? I don't know how it happens, if it's the house or what, but any dirty clothes you put in this basket, somehow, the next day, they're just clean, folded, and in a perfect pile on your bed. You're not serious. I couldn't believe it at first either, but it just keeps happening. That's why I didn't tell you. I didn't want to jinx it. You are insane. Try it. You'll see. Unless it's only chosen me. See, I don't know. I can't do this. No, wait. There's other things too. Plates, cutlery, pizza boxes, dirty tissues, anything you leave on this coffee table just vanishes overnight. I mean, sometimes I'll see how far I can push this thing and I'll just leave everywhere. And then sure enough, the next day, it's all gone. It's just vanished. It's magic. No, she wouldn't have left me. This is what I think happened. I heard her get up in the middle of the night to get a drink or something. She must have fallen onto the magic coffee table and just vanished. Are you insane? No, he's not insane. I've got the same coffee table at home. <laughs> Ooh, how many of you guys got one of those coffee tables, man? I do. My wife's here. She knows all about that thing. It's awesome. In fact, we only got one basket. We got two of them. Big old hand. I can throw anything in there, man. It's awesome. I'll go back. Oh, it's gone. It's awesome. Tom, can I get a ride later? <laughs> but folks, I, I love this because this is to me in, in humor, but it brings out to me the biblical truth. This is what God has done for us. This is what God is doing for us. Okay? Unlike the mythical, make-believe, magic basket or magic coffee table, okay, uh, God really does do this for us. He really washes us completely clean. He cleanses us from all of our dirty sins. You confess that, baby, boom, it's gone. Where'd it go? I don't know, it's gone. Now, I didn't say that, he did. Listen to him. He says, this is what, this is what my compassion does for you. 
Listen to what he says here uh, with our first text. Micah 7, 18, 19. Who is a God like you? Who what? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression. You will again have what? Compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot, hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 43, 25. God speaking, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And what? Remembers your sins no more. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. It's gone. Poof. Just like the magic coffee table. Where'd it go? I don't know. God remembers it no more. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that, listen, Jesus not only died to save us from our sins and to erase us of our sins. He's our forever high priest interceding for us all the time. It's just gone poof. Listen, you've got to understand. Now let's get to the positional side. The Bible says that Jesus died for us so that we can be presented to the Father, listen, as if we've never sinned in the first place. Do you understand that? That's the positional truth. Now let me spell that out. One guy says this. He says, listen to what the scripture says. He who would never sin, Jesus, he who knew no sin on the cross would what? Would not only be punished for sin, more than that, he would become sin for our sakes. And because on the cross, Jesus became what is rotten and what is dirty and what is ugly and filthy about every human being that comes to him. He didn't just get punished there. He literally absorbed the sins into his own body, the filth and the sin and the ugliness of us all. If Hitler on his deathbed could have said, I give my life to Jesus, at that moment, Jesus would have become everything that is despicable about Adolf Hitler. He would absorb into his body. Is that incredible? Is that incredible? He says, and here's the good news. So much so does Jesus cleanse us. Listen, like a magnet, he attracts our sins as though they were iron filings, and he makes them his own. So listen, on that day, he will be able to present us as the Father. Listen, faultless, spotless, without blemish. And the guy says this. He says, I could just see it. Father, says Jesus, I'd like you to meet my friend, the perfect one. And he says, I hope my wife's there. But <laughs> he says, but that is the truth because he will present me faultless, without blemish, without spot. You say, well, what about the sin? I already told you, they're not mine anymore. He absorbed them into his own, literally made them his own. Oh, that's love. That's love. That's love. Put it in the context. Who in their right mind would only forgive those who wanted you dead? Who would not only in their right mind provide a die death on the cross so that they could be cleansed from their sins? But who in their right mind would go through that to the point where you would keep on forgiving them so much so that you could present them to God, the one that you sinned against as if you never sinned in the first place? You know the big Christianese word for that? Justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that amazing? Do you know why we can have an intimate, beautiful, loving relationship with God, the creator of the universe, before we get to heaven right now? It's because of this truth. Because positionally, it's already done. God sees us through those rose-colored glasses, through the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, as if we never sinned. And on Wednesday nights, how many times have we talk about it? It's the word hagias in the Greek. It means holy ones translated a saint. Right? Turn to somebody and say, hey, you, saint you, right? That's how God sees us, okay? It's compassion. 
In fact, I wanted to close and share with you. I've shared with this, speaking of Wednesday nights, I've shared the story on Wednesday nights, but I don't think I've ever shared it here on Sundays. And I thought, man, this is the best time to share it. Prodigal son. This is a true account of a prodigal son story that happened in Salinas, California. This really happened. It's a real story. But man, is it parallel Luke 15 or what? Listen to what it says. There was a, a, a father in Salinas, California. He had two sons. One was highly respected in the community, very subservient to his father. The other one had a bit of rebellious streak in him. And from an early age, this younger brother decided that as soon as he turned 18, he would make good on his dad's promise. And his dad's promise was just like the story, that as soon as his sons turned 18, if they wanted to, they could basically cash out. He'd divide the land, the property, their share, and he'd give them their inheritance. So sure enough, the younger son, as soon as he turned 18, he told the dad, I want my money, give me my inheritance. But his dad pleaded with him because he saw the immaturity of his son. And he said, not, not, not now, son, please. Hang with me about three more years, four more years. Let's build in some maturity, then it's yours. And the son demanded that, no, it's a promise. A promise is a promise. You said 18, I want it now. True story. So dad reluctantly gave up the promise. He wrote the check, cashed it in to the amount, which would literally be millions today. 18-year-old handed millions of dollars. Yeah, so obviously he did what any freshman would do at 18. He took the money and he says, I'm getting as far away from my dad's house and his rules as I possibly can. He says, California, so where'd he go? He went to the East Coast. He went as far as he can go. He went to New York City. And as soon as he got to New York, he started taking the money. He's throwing it away. He grabbed him the nicest sports car he could get. He grabbed some buddies. He got this elite penthouse on the, on the top of the high rises there. He began buying every kind of dating relationship money could buy. And eventually this led to alcohol problems, gambling problems. And before long, he began spending more money than he had. And then uh, he couldn't pay it off. And eventually the creditors come after him. So then he had to move out of the penthouse. He had to let go of a sports car. And before he knew it, he was on the upper side of, east, of, the upper east side of New York. York, he's wandering the streets, already had squandered away. And then his alcoholism had got to the point where he was literally pilfering through the garbage can looking for just drops to get a drink. Then the STDs he got picked up from the loose living now covered his body in sores all over. All of his friends had left him until one day he's literally there on the street. All of a sudden, listen, true story, he came to a reality check. Does that sound familiar? And he said, quote, if I don't do something about this now, I'm going to die out here. So he managed to bum some money off a couple of old friends to buy a train ticket back to Salinas, California. And his thought was this, if I could only get back to dad, if I could only just get back to dad, I can just start over. So he takes the train ride, a couple days pass, he winds up in Salinas, he gets off the train, he walks into the square, he realizes, wait a second, there's no way I can see my dad face to face, there's no way he's going to accept me back after what I did, he's just going to say, I told you so. So he goes into a local cafe there, he begins to weep thinking, wondering, what is he going to do? And then he decides to write a letter to his dad. And when he finished, he went out in the streets and he found one of his dad's farm workers and gave him the letter and says, would you please take this to my dad because I just, I just can't bear to see him right now. And I'm going to read to you a portion of that actual letter. Here's what he said. He said, Father, I realize what I've done. I've wasted not only your money, but my life, which was important to you. I can't even begin to tell you about the awful things that I have done. I'm embarrassed I'm at the end of my rope. I I know nothing else to do but to ask you if I can return home. I know there's no reason why you should accept me back, but I I plead and, and beg with you that if you would, listen, even as a farm worker on your land, just like the story, accept me back. I'll do anything for pay. No pay. Just just room and board. 
He said, Father, if I could just, I have just enough money to take the train that passes by our ranch in front of the apple orchard near the edge of the property. And, and I'm going by there on the train tomorrow at 1 p.m. And if you would accept me back, I would ask that you would simply drape an old sheet over one of the trees nearest the railroad as I'm passing by. And I'll see the signal and I'll know you've accepted me to come home. And if the sheet's not there, I, I, I won't stop at the train station. I'll just keep on going. I, I can't bear to see your face. I, I don't have the courage. I've, I've done too much. I have no idea what's going to happen with the rest of my life. Your son. It's the letter. Now imagine being in that position. The whole night, sleepless, wondering what's going to happen. What are you going to see? What are you not going to see? And so soon he got, gets on the train, he walks to the very back of the train, and he sits down next to this old guy. He puts his face in his hands there, and he, he just begins to weep, contemplating what, is it something, no, maybe, what? So he began to share the story with this old man uh, about the things that he'd done. He was trying to come back home, and, and, and soon enough, the train passed outside of Salinas, uh, at the outside the edge of town where the ranch was, and he, he looked at the old man. He says, hey, could you do me a favor? Can, can you just go to the window and just, and just tell me if there's one sheet anywhere in this whole apple orchard I, I just can't bear to look and so the old man he jumps up he, he he goes to the window he looks out and then he looks back at the younger man and he says i think you need to come and see this for yourself and when he jumped up listen he went to the window and he looked out and behold as far as the eye could see for five square miles there was a sheet on every single tree come home son. come home story and the guy says the bible says that god has loved us with an everlasting love a compassionate love and he says you want to know how much i love you is the sun not enough is the moon not enough are the food and the shelter that i give you not enough is the air you breathe not enough then how about this how about i send my son to die in your place So that you could be with me forever. I want to throw you a party. Come home, son. Come home, daughter. That's Splunkna. It's not just not getting what we deserve. It's because God, even though he doesn't have to, he sees our pitiful state. And when we would just acknowledge it, he already knows. God, I'm covered in sin. I'm covered in pig slop. Can I come home? And God doesn't put sheets on a tree. His compassion said, I put my son on the tree. And it's good for not just one kid, it's good for anybody that comes to me forever. And yet, we wear it so flippantly. It's the most amazing symbol, the cross of Christ. When we truly understand the compassionate love of God, I've said it before, I'll say it again. We would have to pay people to slap the smile off her face every day. And we couldn't wait 
to be like that old man who jumped up in the train to turn back to that pitiful son. Come, look at the window. Look at the love that is displayed. And we have the privilege to do that to the sons and daughters around us. Come, look at the cross. Look at the splunkton that was displayed. Come home. Come home. That's the compassion. That's one facet of this truth that God is love. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. 
And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now.
Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.